Hello, Portland Trailblazer fans, and welcome to another edition of the Blazer's Edge podcast. We hope that you are doing well today, catching us on iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever you might be hearing us. We are glad you are along with us. You'll get straight basketball talk. You'll get interesting basketball talk. You'll get mildly Xanaxed um, post-trade <laughs> deadline salary cap hell uh, basketball talk uh, from myself. I'm Dave Deckard, uh, managing editor of BlazersEdge.com. With me as always, we did not trade you. You are still here, Dan Morang, uh, feature writer and general good guy, uh, podcast guru. Uh, how are you feeling post-trade deadline now? Uh, it's it's Xanax mixed with some Theraflu, some chloroseptic, chloroseptic <laughs> cough throat spray stuff and I gotta say this, this is to get literally out the, the yeah. first time I've ever gone through an entire box of cold medicine. Like you know you get a two or three day flu. You you mm-hmm. maybe use a couple of those pills that are in there. I've I literally exhausted the entire box. So the the trade deadline dreariness mixed with an actual cold flu awfulness has made for um an interesting week to say the least. And snow and snow. That's got to make you feel better. It was, it was like it was hey. flurries of awfulness is basically what I've had for the past week. Speaking of flurries of awfulness, uh, <laughs> trade deadline. I mean, well, the Blazers were at least neutral. They didn't really do anything. I mean, we talked a little bit about that. Obviously, their move was before. It was uh, Nurkic for Plumley. We've covered that. So, as I said, you don't need to bag on the Blazers for not making a trade deadline move. They did. Just a few but days early. a lot of people... Yeah, a lot of people were expecting more. Were you expecting more? Are you all disappointed that they didn't make another move? I thought they maybe would find a way to get rid of Festus's um, contract. And the rumors are out there that there was a pretty close deal as far as consummating the deal with Denver. But instead of taking Festus Azili's non-playing contract, they took Roy Hibbert's. I don't know if he's playing contract. Barely playing. Barely playing contract. contract. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I mean, stopped short of saying speaking. corpse of player, but um, yeah, yeah they, 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 they got something that possibly maybe kind of sort of could be an asset at one point in time. I guess. That's I mean, as as Denver got a RC car with fading batteries as opposed to an RC car with no batteries and the, and the battery covers off. Yeah, it's those sunbeam uh, but, batteries. <laughs> yeah, either way. Yeah, no, it's it's the ones that came with the remote control, yeah. you know, those that have names that you have don't recognize. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, Chris Haynes, of course, ESPN had that for us. And, uh, you know, even even so, I mean, they would have dumped uh, $7.4 million in salary, which would have made, I mean, that's three three and a half million dollars in actual savings from Paul Allen's checkbook, which is not insignificant, uh, but they wouldn't have gotten any return on that likely. I mean, look what the Nuggets traded for Hibbert, which is yeah, maybe basically free up a roster spot. So, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Exactly, that would have been they could have maybe picked somebody up, but I don't, I don't see the Blazers as buyers here exactly. So I'm not sure they would have done that because I, I think the move would have just been this. This is an absolute nightmare. Let's try to save. Three percent on this nightmare, uh, and get rid of Festus's salary. I mean, it's didn't it's, happen. It's movie season, so I mean, if you want to talk about buyers, is is it is it safe to say that Dallas was the Dallas Buyers Club? Huh? huh? Yeah. Oh, they see. There hey. you go. <laughs> and the Blazer fans were Wolf of Wall Street with oh. about. 7,000 F-bombs in the first five minutes of <laughs> after the trade deadline expired. In any case, yeah, especially when uh, Nerland's Noel 
ended up being traded. Long rumored. Uh, everybody thought that was going to happen. Then the attention went to uh, Jaleel Okafor for a, a minute. Uh, but then as it turned out, the, the Sixers held on to Okafor, traded Nerlens Noel to the Dallas Mavericks for Andrew Bogut, who they're subsequently going to cut, uh, Justin Anderson, who only semi-exists, and a 2017 first-round draft pick that protected. is so protected <laughs> that it is almost certainly going to turn into two second-round picks. So in essence, the Sixers traded away Noel for a guaranteed pair of second-round picks. Uh, is that less than you thought he would go for, and are you surprised the Blazers weren't in on that. Yeah, let's back this up a little bit. Remember the Philadelphia 76ers gave up Giroux Holiday for Nerlens Noel. Mm -hmm. And so they yeah. essentially turned Giroux Holiday into two second round picks and I believe there was a first round pick included in that in that deal for for Holiday as well. But man, you want to talk about rate of return or ROI. Yeah, trust the process. Trust the process. That was that was processed. That was like blenderized. I but, mean, uh, if you want to contrast yeah. Hinky against Colangelo, man, not exactly uh, a stellar uh, deal to pull off there. So, it, it, yeah, and, well. and, and D Dallas of all places. I mean, of, of all the landing spots that I heard for Nerlens Noel, that's the last one that I expected him to probably to, to turn up in. And not entirely surprising upon reflection, though, because what does Mark Cuban likes to do? Like to do, he likes to pay guys, and he <laughs> likes to pay guys who have promise. Now, he doesn't usually get them that young. He usually waits till they've grown up a little bit, but. Um, Norlands is his contract is up. He's going to be basically due for a big payday. I am guessing that that as much as anything is why the Blazers wouldn't be in on that deal. I mean, maybe they didn't like him. Who knows? But for sure, they wouldn't have liked already being on the hook for one hundred and thirty three million dollars next year. And then if let's say they had just traded away a couple of you know, first round or sorry, a couple of second round draft picks for him, uh, then turning that zero salary into 15 or 18 million dollars on top of that was probably not in the future. Yeah, no, the math there is just it, it, you're, you're getting into quantum physics and stuff like that when you talk about the salary cap and in luxury tax implications. The only way this kind of deal works is if it's Alan Crabb or, or Evan Turner going back out, because then basically you're saying that okay, they're a redundancy of the backcourt, whatever you want to shape it, but their salary going out is essentially going to be the money we're now going to pay to Nerlens Noel because you've got his rights to go over the cap to sign him. Yeah, and would you have done Evan Turner, Allen's crap for Nerlens Noel? Uh, is this a serious question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a heartbeat. It's just... Yeah. If that was really the 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 breaking point of all this, I I would no, know they, what I, to I say. I imagine Philly wouldn't Philly wouldn't want that. Probably didn't want that salary invested in that player. Probably uh, maybe they didn't value Crab enough, or uh, or maybe you know obviously Evan Turner that would be a little bit ouchy. Uh, but yeah, w would you have traded like uh, Evan Turner and a first round pick? Uh, Evan Turner in Memphis's pick from yeah, Noel. I think I might have do that. Yeah, because you 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 dump at least part of the salary there. Uh, you know, Alan Crabb in Cleveland's pick. Yeah, I think I still would have done that to get a center. Now, uh, Noel is 
heap of rebounds for Dallas. That's fantastic. He's only shooting 38% in the one game that he's played for them. But uh, he's played two by now, isn't he? Yeah, least. he's played two but now. He was three for eight in his opening. He was eight or nine yeah. points and ten boards and a couple mm-hmm. blocks, a steal, and a game-winning dunk. Yeah, and then he played another one. He's, he's, he's done okay so far. I mean, he's shown some promise, but then so has Nurkic. But... That might have been another factor, I guess, if they really like Nurk, uh, that you didn't want to interfere with that. But yeah, because that's then you're putting Noel in the exact same position he's in in Philly, right? You've got another young yeah. big that's because Noel you he know, he can play the four, but he's not. That's not where he's best suited. And the last thing Portland needs to do is to take another young big guy and try to put a you know a round peg in a square hole. Like we we've seen how that's worked over the last couple of years. Yeah, not well. At the same time. Don't you have to just stock up on talent? I mean, just for the talent. Okay. Would I rather have Noel and Nurkic in at the center core than just Nurkic right now, no matter how they played, simply because I'm thinking the shape of this roster right now is not going to be the shape of it in three years anyway. It's a good point. I think I'd still go for the asset. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Yeah. As far as an acquisition and asset standpoint, you're probably not wrong. Uh, how you go about restocking the farm. And again, we're talking about 21, 22, 23 year old guys here. These, these, these are all very young, but they aren't totally raw. They, they, they've got yeah. a little bit of a resume where you can go, okay, yeah, no, the, these guys have got some, some good things on tape and they're still, the thing, the difference between these two guys and, and, you know, say I'm Mason Plumley is, Mason Plumley, he might get a little bit better. He might refine some things here or there. But you're looking at Nurkic and, and Noel as guys that can still take monumental leaps. Mm-hmm. And that's, Let's put it that's this the, way: that's the difference. If if the Blazers drafted Noel with the Memphis pick in June, would you think that was a steal or a great move? Yeah, no. You know I, what mean, I mean, that, if, yeah, if that, Noel that, that, was sitting uh, in that draft, let's, let's say he's a senior in college right now, and you snack him with right. the twentieth. Well, let's just say this, Noel. Let's just say let's magically transport. He's available to draft in there. Would you would you take this version of Noel with that Memphis pick? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't. That's that's a no brainer, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that's so. Yeah, I mean, there's the. I would have made that move for sure. I think. The Blazers didn't in part because they just couldn't afford to at this point. It's another timing issue. If this was two years ago and the the salary cap room is available, I think they take a harder look at it. Now, Serge Ibaka also moved. I mean, we talk about him. We skated around the idea of the Blazers possibly trading for him, just as we did with almost every big. Um, you knew Ibaka Toronto. was getting moved, just like Noel. It, it yeah. just, it just well, made way yeah. too much sense. Yeah, and he's going to get paid more, right? So you have you have the same salary issue there, although presumably you'd have to trade more going out for him than you would for, for Nerlens. But uh, Serge Ibaka to Toronto, did you like it? I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, we saw what, what – I think we saw old Serge there uh, against Portland the other night. Uh, he was doing things. He has played with his back to the basket a couple times and completely caught me off guard. He had footwork that I didn't know he had. I and mean, I think I said on Twitter, he went from, you know, awful shake move to dream shake in about 2.2 seconds. It was, it was something that definitely caught me off guard. You saw defensive help Ibaka that was, that was playing, um, knocking down shots. I mean, he, this is a guy they just integrated into the team. So, 
yeah, it looks like a heck of a move. And now with Kyle Lowry out for four to six weeks, they're going to need somebody to, to pick up the slack offensively and defensively. And Ibaka, while he's not a perimeter guy, he can easily get you 16 to 18 points a game. And defensively, you know he can bring it. It's just a matter of whether or not he, he will. So for Toronto's sake, if, if this works out and they can kind of blend this all together, their salary cap space kind of makes sense for, to, to sign Ibaka for the long term. So, yeah, and the other moves that they made um, kind of made room for uh, Ibaka to get in there and grow. And the, the same thing with, with P.J. Tucker. So they, they've, they're doing some pretty good moves. Up. And, uh, Masai Ujiri has is, is made some pretty phenomenal moves over the past two weeks. Yeah. So look, we compare, obviously you can't compare, compare the Raptors and the Blazers and their current situations, but at one point, both of these were kind of up and coming teams and had some good guards and were ready to make moves. Uh, I don't want to talk about the trajectory as much as I want to talk about the type of moves and what, look, we talked about the Blazers making smart moves, basically insider smart chess moves, moving the pawn in the right direction. Okay, got it. I mean, and the Blazers have done plenty of that back from the time when they were signing Robin Lopez on the, all the way on up, right? But they're little moves. They're, they're eating away at the corners. I mean, Toronto just made a major league move. They just ate the whole pie, and they had the space to do it, and they pulled the trigger. They could get their guy to come. They're relatively confident, I assume, that they're going to re-sign him, or at least that they're willing to take that risk. That's that's what a championship move looks like, and that's just what's been missing from the Blazers for, I don't know, half a decade now. Yeah, no, I mean, Toronto, they, they put their chips on the table, and, and I don't want to say necessarily went all-in, because I think an all-in move would it would be something of desperation. I think that sometimes it's, it comes out of a position of, of weakness and not always strength. But I sure. think Toronto went in on a position of strength in that, and this is before, obviously, the Kyle Lowry wrist surgery news. Um, but, I mean, you look at their team and how they're constructed, where's their weakness? I mean, you could say that their weakness is not having anybody outside of Lowry and, and DeRozan who can really carry the scoring load, but, I mean, they've got one of the better, if not, you know, top three best backup point guards in the league in, in Corey Joseph. They've got a bevy of big men. I mean, you go up and down the roster, you, you've got Valanchunas, you've got Pirtle, you've got Ibaka, you've got Shockham. I mean, there's Noguera. There's so many guys on that roster and now you add a PJ Tucker to to fill in for uh, Demar or uh, not Demar DeRozan but Demari Carroll, and DeRozan's a guy that can swing between the two and the three. And their roster construction is really really nice. And you don't look at those and go, okay, you know this guy's getting really old. I mean, with the exception of Lowry, I think all these guys are all twenty six to twenty nine. Yeah, that's a pretty and, and use, nice setup, right? Use a poker analogy, like. The Raptors are playing some smart hands here, and it looks like they just kind of want a big one. Unless Ibaka walks, then I guess you sh they should have folded. But still, they feel in position that they can push in those chips. Whereas the Blazers, every time they make a move, they just keep rebuying. And it's not like they're necessarily losing the hands. It's just they just just rebuying chips every time. Like at some point, we're going to push these in and make a move and, and the, the payoff never comes. Now, speaking of payoff, there were rumors that uh, Andre 
Drummond might have been for sale. Um, it was Ramona Shelburne, I believe, of ESPN. Connected him a little bit with Portland. How much do you believe that? Uh, first of all, let's just say, do you think Drummond was really for sale at an affordable price? Uh, or were the Pistons kind of just saying, hey, if there's a pie-in-the-sky offer, we're going to take it? And second, how do you think Drummond would fit with the Blazers? I don't know what's going on in, in Detroit right now. I really don't. The, I, if if you've listened to anything that's come out of there for the past couple of weeks, Contavious um, Caldwell-Pope was a guy that could be had because they don't feel like he should get the money he's going to get in the offseason. That's crazy to me. If you're asking me about Contavious Caldwell-Pope or, or Alan Crabb, I, I hate to beat up on Alan Crabb, but KCP's a better player, and he's going to get probably Alan Crabb money. And if you're angry about a player like that getting that money, you're in the wrong business. And if you're willing to just shop that guy because you don't want to pay the guy that money because you're not sure about Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, again, you're in the wrong business. I, I don't know. I mean, if you're trying to build a team, you want a 3 and D guy, right? A, a guy who's a, a tertiary ball handler, can play both sides of the ball, knock down shots, and, and just get things done for a relatively decent salary that's below the superstar max. I mean, that's that's KCP. That's what he does. So he's available. Reggie Jackson's available. And you hear the rumors like this, that Andre Drummond's available. You have to believe that that's not coincidence that basically everyone's available. So I think where there's smoke, they they probably feel feel like they're stalled. I mean, and uh, you know, I'll agree with that somewhat. I mean, it's not like uh, you think of Detroit Pistons and you're thinking, wow, this team is going to make a championship run. They're always interesting, but right now, as we speak, they sit at 28 and 31. That's good. They look like Portland East. They were a team that did really well last year. And, those guys got their money, and they haven't really taken a step forward. Now, I think it's a little bit different than the situation in Portland, just because of the way their their team is set up and the the age and time frames uh, of the rosters. But man, if you're Portland, I I think they'd be silly not to to kick the tires on Drummond, right? Oh, I mean. Yeah, depending on the asking price. Now, Shelburne suggested McCollum. I, I almost don't want to go into that because we've done C.J. McCollum for everybody. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure about the percentages of I, – I don't. I think uh, Lillard and Cousins would have been uh, an amazing duo, at least an, an entertaining, interesting duo to watch. I don't think Lillard and Drummond does the same thing, frankly. I think that you lose something there. But if, if you were going to do the dream thing of they just want to dump Drummond's salary and he's making between, I think, 22 and $27 million over the next five years, which is not that unreasonable. I mean, that's Alan Crabb money, right? So uh, you're... You're looking at a guy who scores 15 a game and his per minute scoring is is good. I mean, he's he's good at the shots that he takes. He's Except a, a phenomenal he's a phenomenal rebounder. Uh block shots in the right situations. I mean, he's he you know, do I like him as a defender? Oh, a whole lot. I mean, especially compared to to what the Blazers have right now. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's any doubt but I do doubt that Detroit is going to give away their player. I mean, no matter how much you're questioning, uh, you don't give away your big, big player for 
anything less than at least a big player in return. I don't mean size, oh, 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 but do you? significant. Is, 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 is that so? Because I think going forward for at least the next 12 months, there needs to be an asterisk on every trade deal that says, well, at least okay. it wasn't Boogie's deal. Yeah, I mean, so let's talk about that for a minute because you know that's going to be the the exception that is, is brought up. You have to put that qualifier on everything. The whole who says no thing has an asterisk next to it, and it says Vivek Ranadive, you know, on, on, on the subline. It's like, oh, yeah. God, the fact that I have no, to put an asterisk on everything now is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. So do you think we'll ever see anything like that again about the boogie trade amount? Uh, I thought the same thing in the James Harden deal. It was just yeah, but I mean, just like you gave up what to get what? Sure. I mean, I can see that, but at least, I mean, there was a Jeremy Lamb involved, which I mean, to, to take or take or leave what he's become. Okay. Jeremy but at Lamb the time, or Buddy Heald. Yeah, well, I'll still take Lamb. Uh, but uh, <laughs> well, I mean, okay, let's not look at let's not look at backwards perspective though. At the time, Lamb was not an insignificant prospect, um, and and also you knew that. Look, this had everything to do with being a capped out or facing the tax, and b already looking at Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. So. It wasn't like they traded their guy. They traded their third guy. And I get that the, the, the exchange was not equal, but at least you could see some justification for that. I mean, the, the Kings, I, I'm struggling to ever. I mean, you have to almost go back to like Ralph Sampson or something like that to try to find somebody who was traded for so little, who was at the pinnacle of his production and was the number one guy on his team, and it wasn't even close. It's, it was just astonishing, and I until further evidence comes yeah, up, like I Herschel say... Yeah, this is like Herschel Walker to the Vikings type stuff. Yeah, you're not able to... You're, you're just not... You're, you can't bring up boogie trades. That's a party foul. You can't bring up boogie as evidence that uh, any trade could happen because it's like, no. Seriously, it's like I, saying, I, I'm, I'm telling you, yeah. I maintain that the biggest fan of the boogie deal outside of the Pelicans is Sam Presti. Well, and he's just sitting there, like, sitting there going, thank you for never having to put my trade mistakes ever on the table again because this will sit above them for time and memoriam. Yeah. So, yeah, not applicable. I mean, it's a meme now. It's a joke now. Uh, be interesting to see how that how that washes Future out in New Orleans. We'll research this and, and wonder how how did that trade go down? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> stuff, you know, the, the, the radio and TV beams that go out into space, supposedly <laughs> it might hit other civilizations There's someday. There's aliens and three when billion they, light years away that are going to go, what? They're, they're going to go, no, this was all fake. We figured it out. No, <laughs> that was oh, every broadcast we're receiving is like, this is like a comedy show. Uh, so um, let's talk about the waiver wire for a minute now. Um, done with trades. That didn't so happen. A lot of people wires. are, they're shaking loose. Uh Brandon Jennings, Luis Scola, Darren Williams, Jose Calderon, uh, Calderon, sorry, uh, are four of the big veteran names uh, that have come up. I mean, big in in context of being waived. Okay. Uh, if you want an actual big, Andrew Bogut's another one too. So he'll, he'll end up yeah. somewhere with either right any of the contenders. Anyways, let's just talk just abstract. 
Now, let's not talk about salary or slots or anything like that. Do you believe that any of those five players, Jennings, Scola, Williams, Calderon, or Bogut, could theoretically help the Blazers? Out of all of those guys, Scola probably could. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I've despised him for so long. But savvy veteran presence, understands... He was never a great defender, but in a team scheme, he he understands how things are supposed to be. Um, I've maintained for a while now, I think Portland's missing some of that that veteran sage wisdom, um, both on the floor and off the floor. Uh, It's probably the closest thing you're going to get because you're not getting that from Brandon Jennings. Um, Yeah, God, no. uh, Darren Williams. Darren Williams. Yeah. Yes. See now, I've no, heard no, from no, a few no. You folks, cannot bring Darren. I, I know, I know, I know. And this is this has been a recent news to me in that, um, it, particularly in Utah, that there's a growing sentiment of fans in Utah that want to bring him back. Um, apparently, there was there was more going on as far as Jerry Sloan's ouster than just Darren Williams. And granted, he played a, from what I've been told a huge part of that whole situation, that whole saga. But at the same time, those that were there have said that he was unfairly targeted for basically the entire thing. So I don't know, but Portland doesn't need guard help in that sense. Um, Having somebody like that, if Portland was a Cleveland or a golden state right now where they're pushing for the finals. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that having an older guy out there that you can bring in to calm things down if somebody gets in foul trouble or you need to, sh- you know, shift things up a little bit. But yeah, otherwise, no, you're you're definitely not bringing. Or you could bring Jose Calderon on and really not play defense. That that could be interesting. Yeah, I mean, let me show you how I to, to like literally not play defense. The, the, in the LaMarcus Aldridge era, he's one of the guys that I thought, well, maybe this guy can help the Blazers, but it'd be a disaster now. Um, oh God, yeah. Scola. I mean, backing up your point, I, I, by the way, I don't see how you could not like Luis Scolas, like not it's like his hair. waffle. Or something. Like I just, it, I just, his hair just kills oh, me, man. What if he dyes it with that new color changing dye? That'd be cool. Uh, in any case, um, so, I mean, Scola has offense still. I mean, he's not scoring a lot for Brooklyn or hasn't. Nobody's but scoring not a lot like for he, Brooklyn. Come on. Yeah, it's not like, yeah, he's gotten a lot of playing time, uh, seen a lot of court action. His per-minute scoring is not that far off of, of the last few years. And he's, you know, he can hit a three-pointer. He can stretch the floor. And like you said, the veteran thing, would I take Louis Scholar? I, I think I kind of would. It would be an interesting It would be an interesting ad. Now, why is it not happening? Well, now we have to go back and figure in the, the salary thing. First of all, you don't have a roster spot. Second of all, you got to cut somebody to make that happen and then you're adding more salary and now you're over the luxury tax because the blazes couldn't move azili um if they had moved festus they might be able to sign him to a minimum contract and then you know that would that would be allowable even though they're over the cap or you know use an exception but they can't do it now without going over the luxury tax so no nobody will be coming off the waiver wire to portland that would have been another missed opportunity if the blazers were any good uh, good enough this year to justify bringing on someone but and provided of course you can get scola to come here now a guy that you wanted uh, a little bit i think as i recall or at least wanted to talk about uh 
as he hit the waiver wire was Terrence Jones, Port, Terrence Jones, rather, Portland product. We need to put the caveat in to begin with that he had some issues, uh, apparently assaulted a, a homeless uh, person when he was in Portland, uh, and that's not forgotten and should not be forgotten. Um, for the sake of basketball reasons, would Terrence Jones be a person that you would think of? Yeah, I mean, the off-the-court stuff obviously is nasty. It's not something you ever want to be It's involved. a different level. Yeah. Let's, let's it, say that. Like, exactly. Okay, we've talked about off-the-court stuff with, like, or, you know, like Boogie in the locker room or whatever. There's, there's arguing with level. reporters and being nasty and yeah. in, in those kind of things. Right. Being caught on camera right. doing something stupid or agree. Like Jolie Okafor, you know, getting in a fist right. fight with a fan. That's not good. Then there's the nasty stuff. And, and what yeah. Terrence Jones was wrapped up in was nasty. If you can dissociate from that and go pure basketball reasons, Terrence Jones makes a crap ton of sense. He's an incredibly gifted basketball player. He's strong. He's athletic. He's a two-way player. He can be a tweener, four, five. Uh, He's basically everything you want Noah Vonley to be. That's, That's really what he is. He can step out and knock down a shot. He can create off the dribble a little bit. He's a solid passer. He's got some nastiness to him. I mean, he's a strong, strong kid. Too. I mean, everything about him from a basketball sense, I I would kill to have yeah. him on this team. So mm-hmm. the fact that a lot of teams aren't jumping at him to sign him kind of makes you wonder. Yeah. And at, in the end, we should put the other factor back in and say, I vote no. I mean, I just can't not going to be worth the risk and not going to be worth the, the, the off court issues for me. I just can't do it. Um, I, I would take a hundred boogies over one Terrence Jones at this point and not just for talent, but because I think that would be the, the final thing that the, in addition to the moral issues I have with it, obviously the final straw for the blazers, the final thing they have is, is, at least some measure of likability. And as soon as that goes... Yeah, everybody on this roster is likable, right? I mean, there's nobody on here, whether or not you like Alan Crabb or or Evan Turner's contract, they're they're likable, good, fun, jovial dudes. There's nobody... there's nobody here that's... An easy team to root for, yeah, in that sense. And that, that would just... Yeah. Again, it's a moral issue or of a justice issue first and foremost, and beyond that, that justice slash moral slash history issue th- also would very much affect the perception of the team. So, no. Do you think there's a level that a team needs to get to before they can make a move like that, or where there's a a risk analysis against talent? We have to be careful here because now we're par- measuring two different things for me anyway, uh, and. I think it depends on that justice issue. It depends on that whole social acceptability slash action slash criminal thing. I mean, does everybody deserve a second chance? Maybe, maybe not. But if you even have to think about that, for me, I think you have serious questions about whether this guy's really going to be an asset to your team. Uh, and the, the chance of recidivism, even if it's not exactly in that kind of issue, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure Terrence Jones would ever do that again. But you think of things like domestic violence and what have you that have a strong uh, repeat offense factor. And it just I think more and more teams are going to have to be saying, 
Uh, no, there's just a code of conduct that I think it's going to be seeing, in the public in eye. Yeah, in, in, yeah. In the it, team's not rushing to sign him. Yeah. Now the problem will be, and the reason I feel dirty about that is that it, I think you're right. If a guy has enough talent, that that's going to be overlooked. It's either going to be buried, or oh, you know, let's get on the forgiveness bandwagon, or oh, let's hope it won't happen again. Because this guy's going to get, you know, twenty and fifteen for us every night. Mm-hmm. So. I acknowledge that that's a factor. I just hope that I hope that I don't fall prey to that. But I mean, who knows? Let's just hope it's not tested. Uh, in any case, uh, so they can't pick up anybody off the waiver wire. But let's talk about the guy everybody's excited about. The guy that they do have uh, lost a couple teeth in their last game, still is producing. Uh, let's read off these stats. Uh, this would be. N- Yusuf Nurkic, of course, as a trailblazer, 54% shooting from the field. He is averaging 7.7 rebounds and 2.7 assists per game, 11 points a night. You compare that with Mason Plumley, 11 points a night, four assists per game, but only eight rebounds. Uh, also, that same 53% range from the field. So right now, not looking too bad. What do you think? Uh, Nurk has had two really good games and one subpar game. His game against Toronto, he tried to go head-to-head with Val and did some pretty nice work. And when we had Adam Maras on, there was one thing that really stuck out uh, as far as things to watch for with Nurkic. And he said that while as strong and physical and dynamic as he can be and as great as his footwork is, he can do all of those things, and then at the the last step, he'll want to finesse and do something, you know, a little wrist flip or just kind of toss it up there with a light touch. And I saw that kind of rear its head against Toronto. And that's not necessarily a problem, uh, but when you see how effective he is, his matchup against Vucevic in Orlando, he went at him over and over and over again. I think it was the second time in Vucevic's entire career where he didn't have at least a double-double against Portland. So that alone kind of speaks to the level of physicality that, that Nurkic showed against Vucevic. And I was expecting to see the same thing with Valanciunas, and it seemed like at times Nurk backed down just a little bit and opted to go for a softer stance. But I did see some really nice things in that game as well. Unbelievable catch in traffic, redirected pass to Noel Vonley for a dunk. That was absolutely beautiful. Um, had a couple of really nice footwork-oriented moves in the post where didn't quite finish. Um, again, that kind of goes to that finesse game. But those are things that we're, we're talking about how the, the Blazers have changed their offense. And as this season kind of goes and progresses, I want to see how that advances. Defensively, Nurkic... I've liked what I've seen from him. He's been very physical, um, meeting guys at the point of attack uh, out at the elbows, funneling them off. Uh, he's gotten a little bit of foul trouble, but foul trouble because of physicality is, isn't something I've ever been bothered by. Foul trouble because of not anticipating or being in the wrong position, those are those are issues. Foul trouble because you wanted to push a guy around a little bit, That that's kind of what I'm looking for in that position. You know what I mean? Yeah. How how much do you perceive the Blazers using Nurkic differently defensively than they did Plumley? Are they asking less of him or at least 
least asking him to cover less territory. Oh, he's being put in a box. He's literally being put in in a box that's about three feet outside the 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 paint to the right or the left, and two and a half to three feet outside the the top of the free throw line. He is not coming yeah. above the the elbows. He'll take a step or two, and even then, you see him come up, and he's like, mm, "Nah," and I almost guarantee that that's a game plan. And while opponents can counter that much easier, knowing that he's not going to come up, at the same time, you're seeing the the Blazers guards. They don't have a choice. They don't have Mason Plumley coming up to, to push and, and, and press away. Or even Myers Leonard at times last night against Toronto when he came up and held on the trap. Otherwise, these guards are having to fight over screens. And that's something that just hasn't been a regular occurrence. And so you're seeing them actively trying at least to fight over those screens because they know they have to because they don't have the help coming. So that's a little bit of a wrinkle that I've seen. And while they haven't been great at it, they're at least... I think trying more, more cognizant of trying to work through those. So those things in a sense, I I believe are actually going to help the team in the long run. At least they know what they have to do. Uh, The thing that struck me about Nurkic is he's one guy who looks happy to be out there playing right now. He's, he's on Twitter (laughs) right now. I think he was the first one to tell Myers Leonard happy birthday this morning, like eight o'clock in the morning. Like he's just right. he is just happy to go to work, man. Yeah, I mean he's free. I mean it's it's like he's getting pretty much what he wanted, uh, and that the fact that that stands out so much says a little bit about the season and the locker room right now. That said, maybe that's the little bit of the boost that the Blazers needed. I mean that they've they had that last year. I think from most of their guys as they looked around and say, "Hey, can you believe what we're doing? This is awesome." Yeah, this year not so awesome, but Nurk thinks it is no matter what the record is. He's so, coming in I like, mean, "Hey guys." Isn't it a glorious morning? It's the best day ever. Now, hopefully that lasts for him. I mean, uh, eventually that'll wear thin, but uh, maybe it'll be contagious before it does. Uh, Now, the Blazers have lost two and won one since Nurk has been on board, so that hasn't changed too much. It should be. Let's be serious. Well... Orlando, they beat Orlando pretty handily. It's not bad. They're down 11 with four minutes to go. Yeah, but, you know, you need a little bit of Lillard time, a little bit of fourth quarter comeback. That's in Portland's DNA. I will maintain that that Orlando win was legit. Mostly it's a, because it's a win's or, a win, but... If Orlando's not a great team, it doesn't surprise me yeah. that they came back. So, I mean, they 112-103 win versus Orlando. Uh, 112-106 loss versus Toronto. Uh, pretty much what you'd expect... Uh, I think it's fair to say that Nurk, neither Nurkic nor New Attitude has changed much, but I don't know. Have At least the Orlando win was nice. I mean, it was one in five, and they've only had two in they had two wins. See, to we're looking losses. at through this thing. So any wins, two good. totally different prisms. I'm out completely and totally hoping for an O in what twenty three stretch to get as no. low in the lottery as possible. I mean, oh, stop it. It's it's to the point. Okay, it's something I, I'll, I'll probably harp on between now and the last game of the regular season. Portland is two games from having the fifth worst record in the league. Two games back of the Philadelphia 76ers. That's and the difference between the there, fifth you... pick and the tenth pick. And in this draft, that is huge. 
they may get there, but you should not like it. It feels like, you know what it feels no, like to me? No, I feel dirty, I, it but feels it's what like, needs to be done. It, no, it feels like to me like the Blazers got their one-year chip last year when they went to the playoffs, and they got the second round. They're like, hey, yeah, we've been winning, and we have our one-year chip now. And now you're freaking back in the bar, like in the lottery, going, how many losses do we need in order to get, hey, give me another one, make it a double. And it's it, like, it, no, It's weird, no. honestly. It's really so, weird to, before March Madness, uh, that I've done this much film work and research on draft picks. Oh yeah, it's all that's about a really the draft weird now. But just, it's that's not okay. I mean, I understand it, I get it, but and and by the way, you and I were among the foremost people after that playoff run last year, saying this is not indicative. I mean, we pretty much spent June and half of July saying no, no, you got to do something else because this will not do. This is not going to hold up. So it's not like I'm disappointed. It's not like I'm surprised. It's just like yeah, I'm, I'm not still thrilled that, that they're 10 games under 500. No, I'm, I'm just like this talk. I just, we were not supposed to be having this talk. Just yeah, not, not every this time this. that I brought this up uh, during the summer, uh, you and David McKay would both scold me in that this is not something as an organization that can be done. You can't what? What? go back down the tank path after committing these to these assets into this team going forward you can't you're right you can't but they are this is the problem this is the thing it's like they went to rehab that's what i'm saying you you cannot i mean you understand it as long as situation is so dire that you need that drink to get through the day it's not that you approve of it and this is a bad analogy i know folks apologies to anyone who's going through this but ride with me for a second when you're going through it and it's dismal there's a little bit of leeway saying okay i get why this is happening but once you've got it straightened out you can't go back to it and they're going Going back to it and that's just wrong and i i just i understand it i just don't want to hear it i don't want to hear about tanking the crazy thing they is, should win every game win every game you can <laughs> period every game i i get it from the mentality standpoint i i truly do in that every you, game you cannot ask damian lillard to to tank this it's no. not it's not a it's not something the players can do. It's not in their DNA, it's not in their blood. And I think David McKay actually said this perfectly. Players don't tank. Organizations no. do. Yeah. Well, you know what you're going to see is you're going to see 6,000 injuries between now and the uh, Honestly, I was surprised the mean who came back. Not to discredit. Okay. Want to say, want to make sure, don't misunderstand me. Sure, the injuries are legit. But you know what starts to happen to teams at at the end of the season when things are going awry and the lottery becomes a priority. All of a sudden, injuries that that people would have played through. Probable goes uh, to question real quick. yeah, exactly. And so that there will be clues there, I am sure, not to diminish anyone who's injured or to disparage the players at all. I'm just saying that often this happens. And so I hope it doesn't happen. You kind of feel it well, coming. The writing's already on uh, the wall. You know what? I don't feel I did, it, it, This is weird because I do not believe in karma as a philosophy. But I think this stuff happens like when when you actually try to game it. 
you pay a price in losses and in a losing culture around your franchise that your draft picks never seem to make up for, uh, at least in Portland. And it seems like your draft picks get cursed. And believe me, I'm the last person to believe in the superstitious voodoo. But I think that happens to the Blazers. I think we are the one franchise who, above all, cannot go, hey, let's tank for the number one pick. Because guess what? That never, ever works out. Well, I mean, Take a look at it. Just this is my conspiracy theory for, for the week. Neil O'Shea has mm-hmm. is, is outwardly said that we're looking towards the draft now. Yeah. Damian Lillard well, is the key to this fixed. team in wins and losses. I mean, if he if he plays well, they probably got a really good chance of winning, right? Would you agree with that? Well, it doesn't. It's more than just Lillard, but okay. Let's let's keep just going. for Go the ahead. sake of this argument. Let's, who's sure, the guy okay. who's worked himself into the rotation all of a sudden? Uh-huh. Shabazz Napier. Yes. Mm-hmm. Remember, that was Pat Connaughton before the All-Star break. What position does right. Shabazz Napier play? Oh, small forward now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? But I mean, I mean that... doesn't it just look like it's shaping up to have Damian Lillard's minutes drop from 36 to 33 to 28 or so? Yeah. Which, by the way, maybe should have happened earlier, not to 28. But uh, I am also a fan of resting Lillard as much as possible because every year seems to get nagging injuries. And I think in some ways, yeah, yeah, in some ways, I don't want to say he's been overplayed because his minutes don't speak. He was early in his career. He was top four in the league the first four years, I believe. His minutes are moderated now. I get it. But at the same time. I think you have to keep him off the injury list, which would argue for some depth. So there's an argument to play Napier. There's an argument to develop him. And by the way, two of those arguments are playing for other teams right now. Yeah, playing Jim really Frazier, well for other teams. Patty Mills. Yeah, so you don't want to have that happen again. So I, I'm I'm good with Napier getting playing time. I, I'm good with Lillard sitting. And, you know, frankly, when, when the excuses come out or the explanations come out, uh, I will ride with that. But until then, I'm going to stick my fingers in the air. And by the way, even then, I'm going to stick my fingers in the ear and go, la, 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 win that game. Now, speaking of the draft, let's not go into it too early because, you know, we're going to spend most of May and June doing this. March, April. (laughs) No, we won't go that soon. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. How long? Well, though, we may have to because, you know what? The Blazers have three draft picks that could conceivably anywhere technically from number one, if the lottery balls go right, uh, all the way down to like the 30th picks. Basically, everybody in the first round has to be researched. So I hope everybody's ready for this because it's going to be a big topic. But my question, just preliminary question, Blazers have three draft picks. Is it possible for them to use all three of those draft picks? I don't just mean draft people. I'm not asking whether they should trade up. I'm just saying, assume that they do not make a move, that they draft all those players to keep. Is that even feasible that three guys can crack this lineup? The crazy thing is, is when we sat down to talk about this, this is the question that I had. Could they use all three? Let's take a look at what's going on with this team. With the way everything is, is rolling out heading into the summer, Physically, they can carry those three guys. There's a reasonable assumption to be made that they could use all three and bring in three people without doing a Euro stash. That's kind of crazy when you think about how locked in this team is, supposedly. So you could be looking at a top flight lottery pick, a mid-round pick, and 
basically a, a late first, early second round pick and the Cavs pick in that all three of those guys could be looked at as, as early contributors heading into next season. I mean, if that's not a just drastic shift from the narrative of six months ago, I don't know what is. Yeah, I mean, A, that's interesting. B, if they use all three first-round draft picks, they will have filled up their 15-man roster with guaranteed contracts, presuming they don't trade anyone away, which, by the way, of course, I believe they'll probably try to do. But in order to even fit those on, uh, Festus Azili has to go away. Pat Connaughton has to go away. Tim Quarterman has to go away. Those are three non-guaranteed contracts. If you're not going to trade somebody, uh, that's what has to happen. And now uh, you're all so, guaranteed from top yes, to bottom. Top to bottom. Now, the rookie scale is going to go up. Uh I'm not sure I have the numbers right in front of me right now in terms of what those would be, but you're talking probably what six between those three guys, you're probably looking at eight to nine million in the first season. The, yeah, that's this year. It depends on where that first pick really is. Exactly. It goes up if that first pick if you're is way a top high. three pick, it that, that number goes up pretty darn quick. Yeah. Well, in any case, so the Blazers fit on all three of those, right? Every single person on the roster is guaranteed at that point. Now, they are right now with non-guaranteed contracts scheduled to pay just shy of $133 million in salary next year. They add another eight, you know, 10 million to that if you get your dream pick uh, or get up to number five or whatever. Uh, one hundred and forty million, which is three million, million above the hard cap. Yeah, for this team, for this team. Let that, that settle in for a second, folks. Yeah, one hundred and forty million dollars. That's uh, absolutely yeah. insane. When you and I sat here and looked at this, dude, we had no intention of ever discussing this part of the whole deal. It was just, hey, who's guaranteed and who's not next year? And could we bring in three guys feasibly? Is that something they could they could entertain? And while yes, it's mm-hmm. true, we also happen to look upon the amount of money guaranteed next year, in the year after, in the year after that, and it was just, I mean, it, okay, fireworks. Let's everywhere. talk. Of, let's talk about two thousand because we're talking about just draft. It. Let's just improve through the draft. Now, first of all, if they don't trade anybody away, well, they would lose Ed Davis. So they would have room for another draft pick uh, the year after. And Noah Vonley, Nurkic, Napier, and Connaughton Quarterman would have to already be gone. So we got Nurkic, Napier, and Vonley, any of whom could go to make room for the next draft pick. But without any of those qualifying offers and without any of this year's draft pick, the Blazers are scheduled to pay out $120 million guaranteed in 2018-19. That's the year after this one. And that would be carrying a roster of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 people. Okay? To add in those three <laughs> draft picks, that would be a roster of 11. And now you're approaching between $127 and $130 million. And you're filling out the roster with, of 11. With, with MLE, vet and, and, and you are Well, no. Oh, you you have to say uh, you if you sign Nurkic to his qualifying offer, oh, then you're, you're right, above yeah. 130. 
right? So that's without Nurkic. That's so you're, without you're looking Monley. at, at Mins, basically. That's without that's without Napier, your guy that you're playing now. To yeah, uh, it's it's astonishing. It's it's absolutely astonishing. They have got to do something. I mean, they are uh, in 2018-19. And this is why they, they almost scheduled. have to use those three draft picks because it's it's controlled costs for four years. Or they have to use it to trade away, to, to package with a big salary or something. In 2018-19, they are scheduled to pay $36 million to Alan Crabb and Evan Turner alone. $36 million for those two. Now, obviously, the cap has gone up and the tax line has gone up because of the new TV deal. But even under that system, there's no way this looks good. This, this just, there's no, we've heard about tradable contracts. We've heard about, you know, gaming the system, getting ahead of the curve. This is not ahead of the curve. This is off, off the guardrail, uh, down the salary cap cliff. Uh, they have got to make a move to get rid of some of these salaries, or they've got to compete for a title with this team. I don't see any middle space in between those two. And this is why we're talking about the difference between, players tanking and an organization taking and why it's necessary because the the means for talent acquisition are incredibly limited when your salary structure is balanced as such in the in the near future you just you can't compete on a financial level on an asset level on a talent level when you're hamstrung like that going into free agency or trades because remember it, there's a lot of ramifications that come along with free agent and trade deals when you're up against or over the luxury tax. There's certain things you can and cannot do. There's there's things that happen to your mid-level exception and how much that goes down and that how competitive that makes you in the free agent market. There are so many CBA implications for this team. And that's that's the thing is that this team has a construction issue as far as 1 through 5. They have a contract issue, and now you're you're throwing in CBA issues in the in the future, and that's why something as, as no, simple the, as drafting it's a, it's a, now is is so huge. Well, and it's the the needle through which you have to thread this is becoming progressively smaller to get a good outcome. I mean, and it's it's closing rapidly. I mean, as let's let's name off the issues. I mean, you don't have roster spots. You don't have cap room. You don't have the ability to chase free agents. You have some ability to make trades, but you almost got to, you you really almost have to dump some salary before you can make a credible trade unless those salaries match up so tightly that it's perfect, right? The the ability to make two-for-one trades or what have you is, is limited. Um, not that you couldn't make an outgoing one with, say, I don't know, a mid-range salary and a really low salary. Obviously, you can do that. But if you're talking about moving significant players and taking significant players in you cannot take much more salary than you've already uh, acquired because it, you already have just because it's going to be tripled it's going to be quadrupled that taking on 2 million more or 2.5 million more that's 8 to 10 million more that you're taking in just in a practical sense it doesn't make sense so and on top of all that with all these problems with all the tightness on here you just don't have enough talent and so what do you do? You tank. And that's why I, I know I keep coming back to it. And I know I sound like a broken record, but there's, 
when you've got this many things that are painting you into the corner, you only have so many ways out. It's either you, these guys take monumental leaps. That means Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum become not just good, or not just average, but good to great two-way players. Okay, stop. Stop right there. Who's who's leaping? Uh, I'll run him down. Damian Lillard? No, I think he said his, it's not as his peak, but he's not like going to add. You're not going to see a Giannis growth where he goes from no, no. 13 okay. to 25 Al- points. Alan Crabb? Perhaps, but not on this team uh, because there's just not enough room. Evan Turner, no. Myers Leonard, God, we've hoped so, but not yet. Even if, Harkless, let's stop right there. Maybe let's say Myers Leonard what? does take that huge leap. Is yeah. it? Is it? Is Myers Leonard giving you 15 and eight? Is that and giving you? Let's, let's say above average defense. Is that enough to get you? You hope he gives you hump? 20 and 10. I but mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. A, a leap gets yeah. him to 15 and eight. I mean, you're, yeah. to get to 20 and 10, you're talking about moving mountains. Yeah. I mean, I love Myers, but 20 and 10, that, that's that's elite level category. And does anybody see that kind of move coming from him? Let, let's let's put Myers in that category. Let's just say, okay, here, who are we depending on? Who are we hoping takes the leap? Myers Leonard? Yeah, sure. Mo Harkless? Yeah, sure. Al Farouk Aminu, probably not at this point. Festus Azili, no, he's going to be gone. Ed Davis, no, he's going to be gone. C.J. McCollum. Uh, he's got one more gear know, left. Right. Where's that gear going to take? Is he going he's gonna to score 28? Is his defense going to expand? I mean, I see an incremental improvement possible, and I see certainly blending into the game and into the team. Sure, mm-hmm. I get that. But that's that's not really a leap. It's more of a, okay, a filling out of what's already there to yep. me. Noah Vonley, sure, let's let's put him in the category. Nurkic, let's put him in that category. Napier, let's put him in that category. I don't think we're going to make too much of a case for Connaughton, Lehman, or Quarterman at this point. So who are you who are you hoping? You have all three your hopes. bigs. Three young bigs. Yeah. Basically, all your hopes as far as the astronomical leap, the the guy to make the, the Jokic leap from yeah. Yeah. potential yeah. laden yeah. product Nurkic, to yeah. To possible MVP caliber player, a Porzingis or a Jokic or something like that. You're hoping yeah, one of those three guys does that. Let's name them. Let's name all of them. You're hoping Leonard, Harkless, Vonley, Nurkic. Nurkic, or Napier. That's that's the five. That's the five on which you are spending 130 to 140 million dollars hoping that they make a leap. That's what you're investing $140 million in. I know you're paying other players, but basically you're paying that. You're hoping those you're guys your are going to get you into contention. Into contention. For $140 million, you better be into contention. Now, does that seem like a sane bet? To, would you, If you fielded those five and you gave them all the minutes they could eat, would you expect them to make? I'm not sure that they, you know. Don't get me wrong. So, I love those guys. No, I, I do too, but, but it's not the situation. If, if you're stepping right? away from it and looking at it from that frame of mind, that's just, I mean, that sounds crazy. It, yeah. Let's just call so, it what it is. It, that sounds absolutely nuts. So here's what you have to do to make your point, Dan. You've got to get as high a draft picks as possible because you know you are going to have to dump some of these guys for minimal return, very minimal salary return. You're probably, you're probably going to have you're to gonna eat a trade. Or, or, you know, you're going to do you take two second back. round picks. The, the top yeah, 55, you know, protected second round pick that yeah. was sent off for Harkless. 
Yeah, and and get two of them, and you figured you doubled your investment or something like that. Now, not that I trade Moa; he's one of the guys I want to keep. But reality says that some of these guys you're going to have to sell pretty low on, in order to clear up the nightmare uh, and allow some room for growth. And so, yeah, that this would make your draft argument that how are you gonna how are you gonna survive that without getting worse? You better make those draft pick hit. Draft There's picks two ways hit. that this goes. It's you, mm-hmm. t- you bottom out and you tank as, as hard as you can and get draft picks and roll a dice that way. Or a sweetheart deal like the Pelicans just got for Boogie comes along. Those are your options. But they were there. They're, 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 that Boogie and Noel were just available and just got moved for nothing and you couldn't get them. That's, so, that's what I'm I saying. Mean, how much it has to sweetheart? literally fall in your lap. I mean, it, this is almost taking Adam Silver in a David Stern-like manner forcing Chris Paul from the Lakers to the Clippers. Like, sure, but like they have to force Cat from the Timberwolves to to the Blazers for some reason on a rookie deal. How, I mean, I, again, I, short of that, what, what's what's look? Happening? You say sweetheart deals don't happen, and they did, and it wasn't Portland. So what do you do? What do you you can't at this point even that wears thin. So yeah, I mean, literally, there's the the thing that's scary about this is that even with all our talk over the summer, I mean, it's been what nine months. Nine months ago, we were so far away from having this conversation and a bunch of summer signings and a bunch of, uh, I don't want to say underperforming. I mean, they may be performing about at the level they are, but uh, basically a halfway lousy season has now made really clear what an absolute nightmare this is. So uh, I guess we're going to end on that cheery note. Hey, uh, well, let's, I mean, Nurkic, yay, Nurkic, I mean, I like Nurkic. Don't you like him? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I still think there's rede- and for those of you that, that are going to poo-poo this, there's redeemable qualities in the the tail run of this season. I, I, anybody yeah. who's asked me is, is like, what are you looking for? Is is this goes down? I mean, and this is actually where I, I, my my feature is going to be this week in in kind of painting a make your own adventure look for the Trailblazers. And one of those paths is player development. Watch. Myers Leonard, watch Joseph Nurkic, watch uh, C.J. McCollum play more in the point guard, watch Shabazz Napier go through growing pains, change the lens you view, and, and for those people that, that were a lot like me in a sense, in that, yeah, I crave wins, and, and I don't want to see losses, but if you can dissociate yourself from that and bring yourself to appreciate the the growing pains that come along with, with the, the youth of the NBA, and understanding that even mistakes can be lauded when they learn from them. There's a lot of fun in that. And I know that sounds like everyone kind of gets a trophy kind of talk, but there, there's so much minutia that goes on that you can, especially with young players that you can really yeah. enjoy and take in and be a part of. And I think the Portland fan base is better equipped as, as, as an intelligence fan base to do so than, than others could be. All right. Well, I've got a kitten here knocking everything off my desk, including the Internet uh, connection, a pop can and various pens and pencils. So that must be his signal that it's It's time time to to go. go. And by the way, even if you're watching player development, help those players win every game with uh, (laughs) with Dan Morang. I'm Dave Deckard wishing you a happy week. We will see you again or hear from you again uh, very soon. And thank you for joining us on the Blazers Edge podcast.